Hello and welcome to episode 12 of the Financial Father and Son podcast where we explore the various ways the younger generation can achieve financial independence. Today's episode is a little bit different because we're going to be re-uploading an episode we did with Martin Bamford over on his podcast Informed Choice Radio. The links to his podcast and website will be in the description of this episode. As per usual, timestamps are in the description of this episode, so feel free to jump to a certain section. I hope you enjoyed today's episode, as this was an extremely interesting and fun topic and chat we had with Martin. So, let's get into the episode. Informed Choice Radio, episode 505, Lessons on the Fire Life, with the financial father and son. Live from Sundial House Studios, this is Informed Choice Radio. Want to make the most of your money and your life? You've come to the right place. Now, here's your host, Martin Bamford. In this episode of the podcast, we continue exploring FIRE principles, that's financial independence, retire early. My guests today are Financial Father and his son, Jay. Financial Father is a relatively latecomer to the FIRE movement, but has embraced it wholeheartedly and now shares FIRE conversations with his son in their podcast episodes. You'll notice in this episode that I refer to Jay and Jay's dad, not naming Financial Father, and that's at his request. When you're on the FIRE journey, confidentiality can be important, especially if you're still employed. And I hope that explains why we've kept Jay's dad's name out of this episode. We cover a lot of ground in this conversation, including the importance of financial building blocks, how time and patience are your allies, and why we typically waste as much as 15% of our lifetime income on scams. Here's my conversation with financial father and son in episode 505 of Informed Choice Radio. So I'm delighted to welcome to Informed Choice Radio today, Jay and Jay's dad. So we're going to have a chat today about financial independence and the journey, but perhaps the two of you can start with you know, a bit of an introduction. Tell us a bit about you and, and what you do, what you're all about. Yeah. Hi, Martin. Um, it's a pleasure to be here with you. You know, I've been uh, working for 30 years. I worked in the communications industry and I came across uh, financial independence quite late, in fact. You know, I'm... I'm uh, in my 50s. And I have had very interesting conversations with my son, Jay, about it. And, you know, about myself, uh, we, my wife and I, we've always been savers. We always try to make the right sort of investment decisions, you know, better right than wrong, let's say. And I know I was on the kind of right track because I was, you know, always tracking uh, our income and assets and, and things of that nature. But I didn't fully get onto the journey of fire until I'd read the books, which was, as I said, quite recently. And it was almost kind of like an accidental you know, discovery, if you like. Uh, but I've been full on fire myself now since 2017. And, and I think it's kind of rubbed off on Jay as well a little bit. Yeah. So for me, for me, it started actually in 2017 by mistake. I saw Tony Robbins promoting his new book, Unshakable, or at the time. And I thought I, I, know who, I knew who Tony Robbins was. So I, I bought the book. I didn't know it was about personal finance and then read it and I was hooked on it. And that kind of 
spiraled me into reading loads of other books and just researching online and attending a few seminars with my dad. And then obviously talking to my dad really helped because it gave me some sort of, it wasn't first-hand experience, but second-hand experience of someone I trust and I know doing the things that are promoted in these books. It's interesting because it's it's quite rare in our experience for fathers and sons, fathers and daughters, mothers and sons, etc., parents and children, let me put it simply, to chat about money, to to have those sort of fairly intimate conversations about financial goals, where they're at financially, where they want to be. Did, did At first, when you started having those conversations, did you find it easy and comfortable or, or was it was it quite challenging? I think, um, as I said, it was a bit accidental. I've been working overseas and, you know, the problem with working overseas is once you leave the UK system, you you become a kind of target for a certain kinds of financial products. And so I did kind of get suckered into this kind of long-term savings plan. And, you know, these are those kind of plans which they don't deliver very much on the promise. And you end up realizing kind of quite late that the, the fees were a little bit too high. It was when I'd read the book and Jiram had read the book. And then so we, when you said, uh, was the conversation easy? I think it was difficult at the beginning because I was trying to defend myself. And mm. Jiram was like, well, hang on, but you're paying all this uh, excessive fees and you're better off just putting it in the stock market. I mean, you know, it just put it into index funds and be done with that. And so it was a real tussle. And I'm glad that we had that conversation because then I'd read the book again and I read a few other books and then kind of it just sort of all clicked into place. So I suppose credit goes to Jay for that because he he was a little bit unrelenting on that point. And I was explaining to him that, no, look, the, the fees are a bit like if you look at our properties, I know exactly the income we make from the rent. I know exactly the total cost. I have like 10 years worth of tax records. And I look, it's 2%. 2% is reasonable. But he said, no, 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 not for financial products. Yeah, for, for, for bricks and mortar, obviously there's a, a higher cost of investing involved. But listening to that story, and we often hear complete horror stories about expat financial advice and and some of the sort of products being sold. We, we see here in the UK, don't we, some some yeah, pretty shocking tales of mis-selling and uh, people ending up in things they shouldn't be. But actually, we are very lucky when it comes to UK financial services regulation and the professionalism of the sector. It's not to say it couldn't be improved, but when compared to what we see in Dubai or Singapore or other countries where, as you say, expats seem to be almost um, you know prey for these, these salesmen. You started a podcast together, the Financial Father and Son podcast, which I'm fascinated by. So, so how did that come about? Well, I think... I saw my dad getting asked questions by friends and family about all this personal finance stuff. Cause you know, there's always that one person in the group that's into personal finance. <laughs> yes. So is that's my dad. So he would always try to slip in something about personal finance. And then obviously he'd get asked questions when people were ready to put their money into the markets. So I saw him getting asked the same questions and it was obviously the same or similar answers being sent back to those people. So I thought, why not? Let's record the conversations we have. We'll cover the basics and then we can recommend those people to the podcast instead of having to repeat ourselves and then also because we've got I've got younger brothers as well and I want to help well we both want to help them be financially literate so this can be a way for them to listen to it in their own time 
Yeah, fantastic. I mean, uh, yeah, and, and what have you learned by doing those podcasts? I and mean, has it has it helped with your fire journey? Do you think by having those conversations and sharing them and, and getting interaction and feedback from listeners? I think the the key thing is to it's a bit like writing a book or writing your thoughts, and and it's a it's a way to just record the information and personal journey because I think I've heard it said many times, and even you've said it in the past you know that personal finance is personal and we all start at different points but the you're you're trying to get to the same end position which is some sort of sense of financial strength or uh, financial resilience you know so that you can if you want to have more choice later in life you know if you want to stop working or if you want to take it uh, easy a little bit i think the idea here was if i could if i could go back in time i'd do a few things differently but at least now i can help my boys and I can hopefully get them on the right track because, you know, as you know, people work very hard and they they end up working for 30, 40, maybe 50 years sometimes. And and this is through need. But actually with FIRE, I think if you applied some of the things that that are, you know, required, let's say, because it is a requirement, you have to actively make these kind of pushes on yourself you will make a difference to your financial journey. And and I think you will learn something along the way as well because, you know, we hear it a lot that there isn't enough financial literacy. And so you really have to be on guard as well. But I want my boys to not make the same mistakes I made. Uh, and I think that for me would be very satisfying too. That's, yeah, re- really key to it. And I've, I've had lots of conversations with fire practitioners over the years. What we've never really touched on is the impact fire can have on the next generation. Uh, and, and this is what I find interesting about your story because it's it's happening in such a collaborative way. And you're, you're obviously sharing these experiences together as two generations. So, so how do you think, I mean, traditionally before you discovered fire, were, were you creating a legacy for Jay or, or, you know, was this, was this almost focused entirely on you and, and your generation, your, your level of generation? And how has that changed since you've discovered fire? Yeah. I mean, my, my wife and I, you know, we, we've, both worked, uh, still work. And of course, yes, the, the idea was always to leave a legacy. Um, but I think we were only looking at it from a, a very narrow focus of, say, just investment properties. Mm. And I think there's a difference between just doing one thing, but then understanding an entire system, uh, understanding what is financial independence, retire early, what does it imply, what what does it require and knowing what is an investment, knowing what is not an investment, having a kind of sense of satisfaction that you have an emergency fund built up, knowing that you know you should invest the difference between income and spend after you've built an emergency fund. I think before this, it was kind of like I was driving blind and it was kind of accidental journey in the right direction i think it's much better to you know i'm an economist so I, I it's better to have a system a plan i kind of had a plan but now and i think since within the last six or seven years that's when i started tracking everything in excel tracking and monitoring really helps and this this meant that hopefully with fire i think it's kind of helped me to optimize many things in my life from you know, taxes, uh, national insurance, you know, paying off missing years. Uh, is my savings rate about right? Uh, how much do I have an emergency fund? 
you know, the, the idea is it, it definitely has helped me optimize in, in different things, but it boils down to just acting in terms of investing in index funds. I mean, that's the, the big the mm. sort of ticket takeaway. Yeah, no, absolutely. And Jay, you, know, you discovered this, you say, via Tony Robbins, who's a, a bit of a character and, and that book, Unshakable. Do you think you would have got excited about financial independence and, and money matters otherwise? I mean, it's not, other than for geeks like me, it's not a particularly exciting topic for many, is it? I and mean, it's not something that's cool or trendy. So so d- does it take characters like Robbins to introduce people to this world? Or, or do you think there's, there's other ways to get people inspired and excited about it? I think there's loads of ways like Tony Robbins. The key thing for me for the, from unshakable was that it was so easy to read because he made that for everyone. You know, it wasn't just for the, the financial geeks like us, I guess. Um, uh, so yeah, I think if it's just simply said, maybe in school in, in some sort of lesson, maybe once one hour a week or something like that, that can be the difference between a kid being financially literate when they're older and, and not, or learning it a bit too late in life. What sort of exposure did you have to these subjects at school? I mean, I, I'm I'm now 41, so it's been a while since I've been in the school system. But uh, what do they teach these days, or, or during your your sort of time in school? I mean, we didn't get much personal finance stuff, but there were ones. You know, there was certain teachers, like my economics teacher, for example. He would do the paper money share trading games for the whole year, right? So that gave us a little bit of an introduction to the stock market. Um, although it wasn't personal finance fully related, it was still exposure, and that was kind of the only thing we got exposed to. So I think as many people have said, there should be some sort of personal finance model or module uh, enabled into the, the school system or just gamify it at least to, to let young people, you know, play it as a game and realize, oh, it's not that difficult. Yeah, no, that, that gamification, I think, yeah, makes a difference between it being quite dry and theoretical to actually, wow, this is this is real and it can be quite exciting. The share trading game, as you say, is a good, good introduction to this. Now, in that relatively short period of time since you both discovered fire what are some of the habits and and jay's dad mentioned tracking uh, expenditure and tracking everything that's going on but what are some of the money habits you think you've picked up in that time uh well yeah i think it's 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 just a building block so it's uh, one thing was something i'd read in uh, the book by ben graham intelligent investor where he very specifically defines the difference between an investment and a speculation and i think reading that sentence in the book kind of blew me away because it was really clear and simple that you know firstly know what an investment is an investment is something which is is producing a dividend an income. So if you think about it, there's only like property and, and shares which, which produce an income that qualify as an investment. Oh, of course, you could start a business, uh, uh, but, but the, that's what an investment is. And then he said, anything else is speculation. Mm. And that's, that was fascinating because it made me realize that, you know, gold and commodities and Bitcoin and anything else that people thought, it's all speculation. And I thought that that really helped cement a kind of understanding in my mind of why it's important to know what the difference is between the two. And then you move on to things like, well, do you have an emergency fund? And do you know what your savings rate is? You know, are you, are you tracking, you know, to the extent of knowing what you're spending your money on? And of course, it requires a little bit of effort, but there are apps and things out there. And I've been using an app for about four years now. So I, I, I can see what, 
what our monthly spending is and 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 how it changes you know month on month on or if there was a, a a difference you know compared to the same period last year and then of course the rest you just invest it and it's also the other thing is you know discovering richard thaler you know the um behavioral economist mm. uh he was talking about you know you have to because we're human you have to automate it so if you can if you can automate your uh, investment as if you're making i think jay said this in in one of our conversations that it's a bit like a subscription like yeah you don't like to pay bills but just think of it as a subscription fee so every month just just put the money into the vanguard account or whatever it is that people do and just forget about it because mm-hmm. it's it's a long-term play you know we're not here to trade and day trade and all that sort of thing and you know we're not speculators we're we're investors for me um I mean, I'm still very early on my journey, but one thing I did start doing was tracking my spending and recording every purchase I made, no matter how big or small it is. And it got me into the habit of, first of all, yeah, tracking it. And then I can put it into my spreadsheet at the end of the month and, you know, see where everything's going. But it also made me subconsciously think about each purchase. Like, do I really need it? Because then I know I have to track it. And then I know at the end of the month, I'm going to see it on my spreadsheet. It yeah. sounds a bit boring, but it works. No, no, it's, it's, it's not. I don't think it's boring. It's only making ourselves accountable to how each pound and pence leaves our pocket, leaves our bank account. It's, it's such an important... These are basic building blocks, but they're so often overlooked. And I, I see so many people, particularly in uh, the investment world, who want to be able to run before they can walk. And actually, until you get these fundamentals right, your emergency fund, you're tracking your budgeting, your, your protection that you need in case of catastrophes, um, low-cost investing, etc. It, it's very hard to try and do anything more complex, more clever with your money, isn't it, um, to do that? You spoke in um, uh, one of your recent episodes of the Financial Father and Son podcast about scams and uh, just interested to get your take on that. You know, what, what sort of scams do you see uh, and your friends and family to, uh, you know, talk to you and ask you about? Um, and what do we need to be aware of when it comes to financial scams yeah I, I track everything even even lifetime income and i've worked out you know the percentage of our total lifetime income that has, was wasted by putting it into something that didn't work right. and you know i would say and I'm, I'm only an economist but you know and we're good at guessing you know we estimate mm. i would bet that if you ask if you tr- if you investigate anybody's uh, kind of financials about 10 or 15% of their lifetime income has been wasted in uh, paying excess fees or they made a wrong decision because they got suckered into one of these schemes or scams. And in terms of scams, I think I think you're familiar with these kind of pitches that, that we all see in our emails uh, and social media about uh, collective investment schemes, uh, hotels, student pods, car parks, because these are the kind of things which are... And it's very important to get this. These are unregistered. Mm. And, and if you go to the FCA website, the FCA website, they, they provide a list of examples of all kinds of unregistered investment schemes. And they warn you against, you know, uh, entertaining these uh, pitches. And, and how do they attract your attention? Because they look really glossy. They promise high returns. They, they show you these kind of images of finished buildings and of course, they never get done. Um, or student pods, which I know people in my network that, that they had trouble reselling them. That there's no secondhand market. So, you know, you, you stick to things that are tried and tested. Stocks and shares, it's regulated. You can buy an index fund. It's easy to 
get into. It's at the entry barriers are low. Properties, we know what property is. We know what a flat is. If you want to buy one flat, two flat, three, if you have a plan, go ahead and do it. You've got solicitors, you've got professionals around you that's legal and above board. But sometimes, obviously, we do get suckered into these things because there are people out there and they don't just want, you know, they don't just want your basis points. I mean, they, they want all of your money. And yeah. that's, that's, you know, that's really tough on normal because we're just normal people. And you can't afford to lose your hard-earned uh, money. No, I'm, you refer to yourself as a normal people, but you've, you've taken an interest in this subject. You've educated yourself about some of the issues here, everything from paying you know, over the odds for investments through to the yeah, out and out scams, unregulated collective investment schemes and teak plantations in South America and all the stuff, stuff we see on a regular basis. But how, how does an ordinary person, do, do you need to have this level of engagement, do you think, with money to spot a scam a mile off? Or do you think the ordinary person that doesn't have your level of interest in it can you know, protect themselves from all the nonsense that comes across their desk? Uh, well, I think it does require some interest in, in in the first instance. And I think if you don't have the information, there's you can get the information. I mean, there are plenty of books on personal finance. There's plenty of podcasts and information out there. Hopefully then it just becomes clearer, you know, what to to be wary of. But I mean, it can't just come from nothing. It has to come from a conversation or a book or information. Um, I mean, I would say that Jay knows as much, if not more than I do. I mean, you know, because we've both read the same range of books. We, We have the same conversations. And it's like, in terms of 80, 20, you're 80 percent there like in terms of knowledge and information Mm. but it didn't come from just reading a newspaper you have to understand that maybe i don't know everything so where can i get information and be willing to get and track down this information i think that the main thing from my perspective i know i'm very young and early in this journey but now that i've read these books the main things that work like my dad said was is the stock market and real estate right you Mm. can go and put your money into other schemes but they're much more riskier and, you know, you're not likely to beat the stock market anyway. You know, there's no need to really want to beat the stock market. Just be this, the whole market and you'll take advantage of an average of every company's growth. And that average is great, you know, for example, like 10% over the last 100 years or whatever, or roughly in the US. And, and that's, you, you can't want more than that. When that's compounded, you're going to do wonders. Yeah, I think that that's an excellent point. It, it's about risk. And I would say about myself that I was... And probably still am. I'm not a risk uh, expert, but I, I know that it's better to be the market than to try to make a decision about some investment scheme that it, it may have a horrendous amount of risk. And it might be um, not much public information about it. So why would I put my money into that? Just Just stick to the market risk. And you know that in the long run, you'll be fine. And property mm-hmm. tends to go up in value over time and it's tried and tested and it's asset backed but when it when other schemes come your way that's when you have to be a little bit guarded and i think the problem with most average people is that we don't know how to read risk we don't know what Mm. risk is and i think that's the difficulty but if you accept look stock market risk is fine of course shares are volatile but you're, you're in it for the long term you know jay's got 30 
40 years ahead of him now he can you know he can happily do his thing and build up his uh, you know his financial future i've kind of stumbled and you know made mistakes along the way but at least it was i i discovered it you know better late than never let's say mm. um but yeah i think for me you know risk is a it really is something most people if they could understand risk and then realize that actually the stock market is not that scary at all and it's better than just leaving your money in the bank because that, you're not going to get any growth it's you're li- literally just having an emergency fund and that's it but your job should be to try to beat inflation mm. i mean that's the, the the point of all of this just to finish off it, it, it's a fascinating conversation i'm loving hearing your sort of your journey and, and your experience of all of this but finish off just to look at the second part of the fire acronym the retire early part now jay's dad obviously you're, you're still working um jay you're a young guy so w- when does retirement come about for you both and, and what does it look like for you well you know i i love what i do my job so i'm gonna i'm just gonna continue and it doesn't mean that you have to stop. What it actually means is you end up mentally feeling refreshed and actually you end up enjoying your job, you know. And I think what's wrong with enjoying your, your work? That, I think it's, it's uh, great to be in that position. I also have this kind of personal idea that, you know, if you, if you do it right, you could probably get off the hamster wheel, you know, after about three, 30 years. And so I'm telling Jay, look, you're... you're uh, 20 now you finish your degree next year he's doing computer science by the way and that might explain why he's so good at all this tech stuff because he 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 likes to do all this stuff and and read about it but that means someone like jay could stop at 50 if he wants you know and i think 30 years if, if you plan it right it's it's a long time to you know evolve your life grow build up financial resilience and then say okay i'll try something else now for for me it's not so much like i don't know about a date or or an age i want to stop yet but it's more the mental thing like my dad said knowing that you can stop knowing that you're not tied to something and you have this kind of perpetual money making machine taking care of you for the rest Mm -hmm. of your life and you don't have to you know rely on the government to say you have to stop at this age to receive your pension yeah no that, that, that's key as well and, and jay just to sort of touch on that point as well you've got a year to go until you graduate do you think that your exposure to the world of fire and money and, and the rest of it will change your outlook and your decisions around what you do when you graduate do you think you'll go into a you know a stable employed role or do you think you'll become maybe a bit more entrepreneurial as a result yeah for sure definitely i i think I now know that I can take both routes and I'll be fine. You know, I could do the stable route and put a little bit away each month and just let time and compound interest take care of it. But I could also go out and take a risk in the entrepreneurial side and still put away a bit of money. But I just know that the main thing is time in the market, right? Yeah, that's the, that's the, that's the main thing. He said t- time in the market. Not time. Yeah, time in the market. Sorry. A very important (laughs) distinction to make. We don't want to encourage anyone to go time in the market. Spend time in the market. Absolutely. It's it's been a pleasure chatting to you both. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I'll make sure I put links in the show notes for this episode to the Financial Father and Son podcast and and send some of our listeners hopefully across to uh, to check out your work there. Um, But thank you so much for joining us. It's been, been a pleasure. Thank you so very much for having us. Appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you, Martin. It's a pleasure. Take care. 
A big thank you to Jay and to Jay's dad for joining us for this episode. Funny story, Jay's dad actually got in touch with me via email a good few years back to ask some questions as he started that journey towards financial independence and uh, obviously responded to his email at the time. But it was his son's interest that prompted them to start their podcast, his financial father and son podcast, which you should check out as well. And his son just pops up one day and said, I've set up the podcast, let's have a chat and record it. That's how easy it can be to get started sometimes. I think we can overthink these things, can't we? But it's great to hear their journey. Great to hear it from two different ends of the generation spectrum as well. Uh, You're never ever too old to start on the fire journey. And of course, you're never too young either. I'll put a link to the Financial Father and Son podcast in the show notes for this episode at icradio.co.uk. Do go and check them out. It's a really interesting set of conversations. And until next time, I'm Martin Bamford. This is Informed Choice Radio. And remember, when it comes to your money, the more you know, the faster it can grow.